Two weeks ago, we finished up Matthew 18, and last week we had a Gideon speaker, and I appreciate your generous offering, over $1,600 for Gideon Bibles, and uh, God always honors his word, seems like, supremely, so thank you for that. When we finished up uh, Matthew 18, as we begin uh, Matthew 19, Jesus is leaving the Galilee region, and, and he's going... Uh, into the Judea region, and a lot, of the, a lot of people are coming to listen to him uh, speak, and he's doing a lot of mir- mirac- miracles and healing a lot of people. Then the uh, Pharisees, the religious leaders, uh, do something that we're kind of familiar with by now as we've been looking and walking through this, this uh, making our way through the book of Matthew, is they try to trap Jesus, try to trick him up with a question. And as, as Jesus answers their question, in this first part of chapter 19, we get to see him uh, go back and present what I call God's design and God's desire for marriage. I think it's a beautiful thing uh, in, a, in a setting that's really going to be interesting. So you should be with me now in Matthew chapter 19. Let me pray and then let's walk through these first 12 verses, Lord willing. Father, thank you now. Lord, we'd invite your Holy Spirit to be our teacher. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that are open and sensitive to what you speak to us. And Lord, may your Holy Spirit bring the message in your name I pray. Amen. Let's look at this. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee, came into the coast of Judea beyond Jordan, and a great multitudes followed him and he healed them. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for any cause? And he answered and said unto him, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And he said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and cleave to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Wherefore there are no more two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? And Jesus said to him, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning that was not God's plan. And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her, which is put away, commits adultery. And his disciples said unto him, Man, if that's the case, Lord... It'd be good not to marry. But he said to them, All men cannot receive this saying except for those whom it's given. For there are some eunuchs who were born so from their mother's womb. There are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men. And there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. As we get to verse 3, it uh, it sounds familiar. The Pharisees ask him this question. And their, their interest was not in his answer, necessarily. They weren't interested in, in hearing his truth or God's truth. They asked him a question because they thought this question and answering it, either way he answered it, they were going to have him trapped. And that's not new. We see, we, we see a lot of verses in Matthew chapter 16, verse 1. We see the sa- uh, same thing happening. The Pharisees also, with the Sadducees, came and tempted desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. Matthew chapter 22, verse 15. They went to the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him or trip him up 
in his talk. Listen, look at Luke, Luke verse 11. These two verses particularly caught my attention. And as he said these things unto them, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, began to urge him vehemently, really encouraged him to provoke him to speak of many things. They, they wanted him to talk, lay in wait for him, and seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him with. You see, their whole interest was in trying to get him to say something that they could spin that would be his downfall. Sounds very familiar today in our political realm, doesn't it? And it sounds to me also that these religious leaders are like a lot of people today. Is that in all the, the hurts and the needs that are great and the, the storms that are around, the last song they sung about, and that oftentimes rather than listening or coming to God's word to hear what God's word speaks to our hearts, that if we're not careful, we look at God's word and the minute that that, that, that phrase or that word catches our attention, then it's just a matter that we've, we've already uh, gonged out the rest of God's word and we're not, we're not paying any attention because he has dared to say something that was offensive or he's dared to say something that differed with the way we thought. So they were coming with the intention specifically of trapping Jesus, of tripping him up. As Jesus responded to that, or as we do that, they, they set the trap and they, they, they thought they had it a pretty good trap set. And the, the question was, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for any reason? And a, a little bit of research on this just was uh, opened my eyes to a lot of things. They're referring, of course, to Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, where Moses now in writing in the law uh, gave them this guidelines. He said, when a man has taken a wife and marries her, and it comes to pass that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement, put it in her hand, and send her out of his house. From the New English translation, look at this. It says, if a man marries a woman and she does not please him because he has found something offensive in her, then he may draw up a divorce document, give it to her, and evict her from his house. Sounds like uh, we uh, still today, we read God's guidelines and God's laws. And if we aren't careful, then we interpret them in perspective, in our perspective, to try to, feed, uh, to fit our situation or our needs. The divorce decree that is referred to in, in Deuteronomy is, uh, gets its name, it's called a G-E-T, still uh, Hebrew in the Hebrew religion, very common. And, it, and the word get is taken from the word document. And the way that worked is that a, uh, a, uh, a religious leader, a rabbi, would write the, the bill of divorcement. The husband would take and place it in the hand, put it in the hand of the wife, and then she would, have, she would leave. Now, this teaching had over the years had uh, two schools of thought in the Pharisees had kind of split over the teaching of divorce. And, and they were as far apart as day and night. One school under Shammai's school held that uh, there were two that very strict rules that either unchastity or adultery were their only justification for a man to divorce his wife. There was another school of thought uh, espoused by the teacher of Hadiel 
And there were a lot of followers in his teaching and his school. And theirs was right the opposite, basically saying that a man could divorce his wife for any reason at any time, if, it was, if that suited, if she was unpleasing to him. Now, in, the, in that, they expounded on what unpleasing could be. And it could be anything, if she was a bad cook, if she used too much seasoning or the wrong kind of seasoning. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm quoting this from, from that. If she went out of the house with her hair down. Or if, if she was flirting with another, with another man. And this was one of that interested me a lot. Or she could, a man could divorce her because she was a noisy woman. Now, I would not, I would not dare touch that phrase, except there, the question had to be answered. And they asked us, what does it mean to be a noisy woman? And the definition was, if she speaks so loudly in her own house that the neighbors hear her speaking, man, she can be out of here. Uh, yeah, she's a noisy woman. So, so basically, this school of thought said that a man can, uh, can divorce his wife any reason, any time he wants to. And by the time that the, the Pharisees present this question to Jesus, uh, it was even more alarming to me to, to see the culture and, and where this culture had gone by Jesus' day. I mean, I look, I look now and I think nothing could be as bad as now. But, the, but, but they had taken this to new heights as man seeks to, to uh, deal with his own guilt in ways that are contrary to God's word and God's law. And, uh, and it, was very, it, was, it was not uncommon at all by the time they presented this question to Jesus that uh, a man could, uh, could divorce his wife for a night so that he could sleep with another woman and he wouldn't, could not be accused of committing adultery. So, so there, there, I, I realized today that a man, we may dress differently, we may speak different languages, culturally there may be a lot of differences, but the heart of man and woman basically are still the same. And that's very contrary to God's word so often. So this was the question, and they thought no matter how Jesus answered this, they had him. And what's interesting to me is that when Jesus answers them in verse 4, is that Jesus takes them back to the beginning. He did not get caught in their trap. He did not take the bait uh, and get entangled. He takes them back to the beginning. And I want us to look at these uh, this, as he takes them back. to Go with me to Genesis 2. Leave something here in Matthew. We'll, we'll come back to Matthew 19. But in Genesis 2, where God, had, uh, where God creates man and creates woman, in Genesis 2, chapter 2, verse 7, we see it says that the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, and man becomes a living soul. In verse 15, God then takes man and places him in the midst of the Garden of Eden to care for it and to tend it. In verse 18, we see that God looks and says, it's not good that man's alone I'm going to make a help meet for him. Then in verse 19, we see God said, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every fowl of the air, and brought them to Adam for Adam to name them. And then Adam does that. In verse 20, it says, Adam gave them names of every one of them, but for Adam, and look at the end of verse 20, but for Adam, 
there was not found a help meet for him. Now, I, I, I love this explanation that God's word gives us here. And Jesus takes them back to this. And he says that uh, as God created man and it, God looked and God said, hey, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make a companion for him. And in doing that, sometimes, oftentimes, God, uh, God's ways and God's design, he tells us to trust him. Sometimes he gives us insights later on and we, we see kind of how, oh, well, man, God's all over that. Or, or understand now what he was doing. Well, here it seems that God created these, all the animals and he, and he brought them before Adam and said, Adam, we need to give names to these, to these critters running around here. And, and so as he brought them before Adam and Adam named them, Adam began to notice something. Here were, here was uh, these animals and Adam said, we're going to call these lions. Um, but man, this, and this, this, this got to be a lion looks a lot like this one, but the haircuts are different. This one's got hair all around his neck and, and this one over here doesn't. And God said, Dad, this is a, this is a, a male lion and this is a female line. All right, what's well, a female? All right, trust me, Adam. So he comes along and here are all these, all these animals. And as Adam names them, and he noticed that there is, a, there is a male and a female in their counterparts. And in verse 20, I think God was wanting Adam to see. And then Adam looks around and said, wow. But God, where's my counterpart? Where's, where's the one with the different haircut than I've got? You know? And, and then... We see in verse 21 that God causes a deep sleep to fall on Adam and, Adam, and God takes a rib out of Adam and from the rib, the Lord then forms a woman in verse 22. And then we have in verse 22, the first wedding and we have, we have the first giving away of the bride. And we see, you see that, that God brings Eve or brings a woman to this man, he brings her to him. He, he gives her away, our Father God. Now, verse 23, uh, King James just doesn't do, uh, I don't think, uh, justice by it at all. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she's going to be called woman. And, and I, it's, it's hard to, in those just words on a page, put in the meaning and I don't, I'm not, don't think I'm stretching this at all. It was with great enthusiasm that Adam said something like, wow, this is, this is, this is it. This is, this is her. This is my counterpart. Man, she's a 10. I don't even know if you knew what 10 was, but, but I'm sure, I'm sure Adam says, God, I like your ideal. I like your ideal. And, and so then Jesus said, then God says to Adam and Eve, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother. This is before there was a father and mother. But shall a man leave his father and mother and, be, and shall cleave to his wife and they shall be one flesh. Now here we have God's design and God's desire for marriage. And God's design for marriage was this. That God created male and female. You see, sexuality and gender is God's ideal. Now, we have come so far today, and uh, I, I just keep marveling at, at the stupidity of intellectual man. And so we got, the, we got this thing that, that, is, that years ago people would have laughed at, but we have this whole thing today of gender identity. 
that, uh, the, and, and there's those that are even espousing, don't call little baby boys, baby boys. You know, you're going you're gonna to warp their mind. Don't call baby girls, baby girls. They may decide they're not a girl or they're not a boy. You got to wait and let them, you got to be kidding me. Isn't that, one, isn't that one of the craziest things? And yet that's where we are. And there's a great, there's a push on to, to uh, uh, you know, to make that, and some places have even started taking off male and female on applications because of that. Now, let me tell you, God's design was male and female. An attack upon gender identity or on gender is, we think it's just, it's just being politically correct. Listen, it is an attack upon God's design from the beginning, from the beginning. God's design was a, one, a man and one woman. Now, the same thing's true with, with same-sex marriage. Same-sex marriage, and, uh, and, and, and we look at this, it's, it's, and it's not a matter of acceptance. It's, a, it's an attack upon God's design. And we need to see that. We're, you know, and we're talking about, we're going to be talking about things this morning with this and talking about divorce. That affects every one of us in here. We, all of us in here, some of us are affected very, very much more than others, but all of us are affected by, by family or by friends or some others that have been affected and caught up in Satan's attack upon God's design. So we have God's design. That's a male and a female, man and woman, but we also have God's desire. In verse 24, God's, is God's desire is, uh, is the leaving and the cleaving and then becoming one. This is his desire for marriage, every time I read this, I think of the, uh, the movie, what is that, Fireproof? Remember that where he took the salt, pepper, and the shaker, uh, the, the salt and pepper shakers, and he glues them together? But it's about like, about like man and woman, right? Salt and pepper, black and white, uh, what is that, Mars and Venus, whatever they are. But Jesus, rather than falling for the bait that these uh, Pharisees are throwing out at him, takes them back to God's word and just says, this was God's design, this is God's desire. And so then when we do that, when he does that with them, the Pharisees think, well, he's not out of it yet. So in verse seven, then they said, well, if that's, if that's so, if that's God's design and that's God's desire, then why did Moses tell them they could get a divorce? Now their thinking was this, if Jesus was going to take this route, then they were going to pit Jesus against Moses. And Moses was really looked up to among all the religious groups. So, either, so if Jesus was going to say, well, Moses, was, you know, Moses got it all wrong, he, and he's going, then, then he's going to lose credibility and, and the religious group in mass and others, and they're going to, he's, going to, he's going to be tripped up and entangled in his words. And so they ask him, well, then why did Moses write, said it was a man could divorce his wife? And, it's, and again, the wisdom of Jesus. And Jesus says in verse 8, the reason is not because something was wrong with Moses. The reason is not because something was wrong with God's design. The reason was not because something was wrong with God's desire. But the reason is because something is wrong with man's heart. And he says too, he says, because of the hardness of your hearts. Now, obviously, he's, he, the, those people are standing there with Jesus, and he's not referring back. You know, he's not saying you were back there then, but he's saying man's heart is desperately wicked. And, and apart from, from surrendering and apart from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives and a submission to God's word, then our hearts turn hard toward the things of God. And they turn hard toward God's word. 
And listen to me, when our hearts have turned hard towards God's word, it's not but just a short journey for our hearts to turn hard to the person that we love more than any other person in the world. And I've seen it happen. And you've seen it happen. Two people declare their love for each other as long as they both live. Really mean that. Really committed to that. And then, sometimes a short time later, sometimes years later, hopefully never, but I've seen that same two people so bitter, so angry. Can I use the word that Jesus used? Their hearts have gotten so hard toward each other that now the only thing they want to do is tear apart. So Jesus has said to him, he said to him, it's because of the hardness of your heart. But he said, this was not, this wasn't God's plan from the beginning. That's not what it was. You see, sin, when sin came into the Garden of Eden, when sin came into, when, when sin came into the, the world, it changed a lot of things. We know that, that God had told Adam and Eve, the day you eat of this fruit, you're going to die. But I'm still leaving a finger here. But I, but I, but I want to finish from, from Genesis chapter 3, this part. In Genesis chapter 3, uh, this, it begins off by the serpent. Now, in the Garden of Eden, when God placed Adam and Eve there, there had already been a rebellion in the heavens. Lucifer had already been cast out of the heavens with a portion of the angels that rebelled against God with him. So we see Satan uh, entering the, the a serpent's uh, body form here and tempting Eve. And we know the story that Eve, uh, sa- he, Satan questions God's word. Satan is still a great tool that he uses. He asked Eve, don't, you, don't this fruit look good? And she said, well, yeah, but, but God has said this. And Satan said, did God really say that or did God mean this? And so he deceives her. And then she eats and then she takes to her husband and he eats. And we're going to pick it up uh, down in verse 11. What's, what's happening though, they eat the fruit and God comes to visit with them in, in the cool of the evening, like, he all, like he's been doing. And they've looked so forward to God coming in and having fellowship with him. They've looked at it. It's been an enjoyable time. The evening's cooling off, and they walk, and they talk about it, and God's teaching them and learning all kinds of stuff. But after that meal, they hear the Lord say, come in, and notice what he says. He says in verse 10, and uh, God says, Adam, where are you? Verse 9, and Adam says, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, and I hid myself. He had never been afraid of God before. They'd never been afraid of God before. Oh, the consequences of sin. I remember being disobedient and uh, trying to cover it up and trying to hide it. And getting so far away from the Lord. Didn't like re- reading his word because every time I read his word, it was convicting to me. Only came to church because I didn't want people to think bad thoughts about me. I wanted to pretend. Sin. Sin breaks that, that close relationship and fellowship with a God that we love, that loves us. And Adam said, I was afraid of you. And I hid. 
Jesus, or God says to him then, and, and he said, I, I was naked and hid. And God said, who told you you was naked? And the man said, and, and look at what happened now in verse, verse 12 of Genesis 3. And, and, and the man done what typical men do, what we do, right? He said, the woman, who's to blame here? God said, Adam, what's going on? And Adam says, the woman. And notice what he says. The woman that you gave me. It's really your fault, God. I was doing pretty good, just me and those critters. Named them all. And the woman you gave me, she's the reason that I sinned. Now, can you imagine? Just imagine me. I mean, again, the, the consequences of sin are so far-reaching. Can you imagine Adam and Eve up until this point? There was no sin up until this point. I don't know if they had any disagreements, but if they did, it didn't get to the level of sin. They were enjoying the relationship with God. They were enjoying where God had placed them. They were enjoying each other. They were enjoying learning all this stuff. And can you imagine here in the garden now as Adam and Eve stand there with God? And God said, Adam, what's going on here? And can you imagine how Eve must have felt when for the very first time Adam looks and said, it's her fault. It's her fault. And, you, and you're partly to blame because you made her and you brought her to me. Oh, man. I don't know if tears were running down Eve's face, but there was something happened in that, in that marriage that day that had never been there before. It was that blame and name, point and blame is always somebody else. And what did Eve do? She does the same thing. She said, I, it wasn't my fault. It was the serpent's fault. Who, you, you, you must have created that. It was a serpent's fault. Oh, the, the consequences of sin. Jesus said, back to the Pharisees, he said, God, this was not God's desire. God's plan was good. God's design was great. God's design is perfect. There's not a flaw in the design of marriage. If marriages fail, it's not because the design was wrong. Listen, we've been married, Barbara and I have been married past 48 years. We're not hardly got to 63 to Donna and Mary Lou. She's the only woman I knew that got married at her first, before her first birthday. Uh, she told me she was 64, so I don't know. But, but 60, were the 63 years? 60 years, 48, 38, Freddie and Stacy, 43, uh, however it is. Marriage is one of the best things that's ever happened to me other than trusting the Lord as my Savior. But I want to tell you, marriage is tough. It's one of the best things and it's one of the hardest things. It really is. And I, and, but, I, but it's worth the investment of not giving up. You love it. I've shared this recently, but you love the story of and uh, Ruth Graham and Billy Graham, and they were interviewing Ruth, and they asked her, "Well, what's it like to be married to this this evangelist that shares the gospel all over the world? Surely, y'all have never had any bad thoughts. You've never considered divorcing him, have you?" And probably like any good Baptist wife, she said, "Well, no, I've never thought about divorcing, but murder's been on my mind a few times. You remember that <laughs> that interview with that? So." So, so two people different, going to, be, going to be interesting times. But work through those times. Invest in those times. Don't bail out too quickly. 
I can remember when we, when we, I can remember some of us that are old enough to remember back, it was, it was a lot more difficult to get a um, divorce. Uh, and so one of the things as, as we came, and I remember when this came out, I remember I was, I was counseling, a counseling school and they said, we're going to, we're going to now in Georgia, we're going to have this thing called a no fault divorce where the, you don't have to prove that the other person was unfaithful. You don't have to prove that the other person was unfit. And if you were from the high level school, you didn't even have to prove that the other person that displeased you. All you got to do is both of you sign a document, come and say, well, we just don't want to be married anymore. And we're not going to blame anybody. It's nobody's fault. We just want to be single again. Uh, and we grant a divorce. And I can remember being in a workshop when they said, once we do this, we're going to stop the majority of child abuse in our state because every child is going to be a wanted child. And, and, and we're not going to have them in homes where there's this domestic violence. And once we do this also, we're going we're to tremendously cut down the divorce rate. Well, how'd that work out? Yeah. Again, it's not a problem with God's design. It's more a problem of man's heart. And so as Jesus was sharing this with them and, and with, the, with the, the Pharisees, I, I'm thinking about God's design from the beginning. In Ephesians chapter 5, we're not going to have time because we're going to share in the community here. But in Ephesians chapter 5 is, is a pretty exhaustive look at the relationship between husband and wife and what that would look like. And if you, if you back up and begin like verse 15 or in, somewhere in there in Ephesians 5, and it, talk, it talks about that uh, we're to walk circumspectly, we're to walk wisely, redeeming the time because time is short. You know, don't waste time on foolish arguing, things that are important. Those, those molehills that become mountains in our marriages, arguments, and, and, and we waste time on those. And after it's so over, we think, man, that was stupid, wasn't it? Been there, done that. Barbie never has, but I have. I'm just telling you, I have. Been there, done that stupid Stupid things. And he tells us in Ephesians, as Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's saying, hey, listen, guys, we need, to, we, need to be, be, we need to be living life here. We don't need to be wasting life, pointing blame and arguing about that. He goes on and he, and he talks about, he said, and, and uh, yield to, submit to one another. Don't, be, don't let uh, the influence of, uh, of pills or alcohol cloud your mind. Don't be drunk with those things and let those control you. Instead, be filled with the Spirit of God. And it'll put a song in your heart. He talks about this. And then he talks about submitting to one another. And then he talks about wives and husbands. And then down there next to the last verse in Ephesians 5, he says a strange thing, very interesting thing. He says, and by the way, this is a great mystery, but I'm speaking of Christ and the church. Nevertheless, in the last verse, he said, you wives and husbands, get it together like I'm telling you. Okay? And that's the jury helping paraphrase. But what was he saying? He said that from the Garden of Eden... When God brought Eve to Adam and instituted marriage, we look all the way down now to Jesus' day, and we, and we look uh, after, at, at, at the New Testament, and we can see how God's design was that the marriage relationship would be a living example or a living model or pattern of God's relationship to his church. Jesus in the New Testament is called the, bri uh, the bridegroom. And the church is referred to often as the bride. 
And so our marriages are to be a reflection, are to be an example of what God's love to the church is like. Guys, this just hits me. Because God tells, tells, he calls me, he calls us to love our wives like Christ loves the church or loves us. Now, I'm wondering, I'm thinking about this. Upward, Jeff said, and, and Jackie counted these this past week. We counted them, 70-something football players, boys and girls. Not counting the cheerleaders. And there's a gob of cheerleaders, Nicole, more than we've had in a few years, right? Three big squads. 70-something of them. Only 13 kids from this church. And I'm wondering, others from other churches, many from no church. And I'm wondering if they are seeing in my interaction with Barbie, if they can look and say, man, is that, if that's the way that Christ treats me, I want that. Or when they hear me holler at Barbie, and by the way, when I holler at her, I love you, honey. It's got to be what they want. I want them to hear, you know. Or when they, when they hear me holler at her, are they thinking, oh, my. That's not, that's, and, and, that's, and, and he's a Christian. You see, God has this design. It's great. It's good. And God has this desire. And his design and his desire for marriage is to, is to be built into our lives so that marriage is really not about us. Now, that's a great thing. It's a good thing. Trust me. It's a good thing. I love it. There have been times, but, I'm, but over, I love it. So marriage is a good thing. But marriage is really about more than just Barbie and me. It's about, it's about who Jesus is and who, how are we reflecting his image. My, my, one of my main regrets in life I don't think I've ever shared this before. I was thinking about it this morning, though. One of my main regrets in life is the times when I, when I haven't lived that out with my kids and with the people around me, family, and when I've let them see more of jury and more of self in Christ. And it's just my prayer that they see a repentant and a humble attitude and can say, wow, he really blew it big time. But if God can take somebody who's blown it that big and still forgive him, honey, we got it made. Yeah. So Jesus answers them. I've got to, I've got to finish quickly. Uh, verse nine, he, he, he shares with them. Then verse 10. And when I read verse 10, I read it kind of like, um, Jesus didn't, didn't fall into the trap that the Pharisees set for him. He didn't take the bait. So they have nothing to say. We don't, we don't hear any more about them at this point right here. They didn't give up. Later on, they'll try again. But then they walk away and Jesus with his disciples, and they come, and come to him and they say, man, that's tough. If that's God's design, if that's God's desire, it's so difficult. It'd be better just, it'd just be better to stay single. Now, you got to remember, some of these disciples were married. Some of them weren't, okay? But these guys are saying, hey, that's an impossible standard. It's an impossible standard. It is without God's help. But Jesus then responds to them, and I want to just say something about this, and I've got a story I want to close with. His response to them was, I think, in verse 11 and 12, that, hey, listen, God's got a design. It's perfect. God has a desire, and it's right on target. But not everyone is designed for marriage. Singleness is okay if that's part of God's plan for you. And he wants them to know that. He says that here. 
You don't have to have, if you're a single woman, you don't have to have a man to complete you. If you're a single man, you don't have to have a woman to complete you. Listen, our completion is supposed to be in Christ and our relationship with him. He's our completion. When we know who we are in Christ, it frees up a marriage relationship to be what it's supposed to be. And that marriage relationship was never to take the place of the relationship with Christ. That's first and foremost. Well, let me close with a story, and then we'll have communion. It was a Sunday school class. I think, I think of our Sunday school teachers and answers in Genesis, a lot of the curriculum. It was a Sunday school class. Father took his son down to one Sunday morning. And the lesson that Sunday was about Jesus going to the, performing his first miracle, going to the wedding in Cana, and about, uh, about him wanting, running out of wine, and Jesus turning the water into wine. And the daddy, after, after Sunday school, on the way home, the daddy's thinking, man, I, I, um, I, I need to, you know, I need to, I, we need to talk about this a little. And he said to his son, he said, son, what, what did you get from the Sunday school lesson today? And the son was quiet and thinking. And then he answered his dad, and I, I, it's phenomenal. This is what the little boy said. He thought for a moment, and then he answered. Well, Daddy, if you're having a wedding, you need to make sure Jesus is there. <laughs> wow. That'll preach. Let's pray. Father, thank you so more this morning for your word, that your word is true, is faithful. And Lord, when we look at, at this uh, encounter with the, with the Pharisees, they were trying to trip Jesus up, Lord, and it still seems like today that more people are, a lot of people, I shouldn't say more, but there's still a lot of people, God, that's, that's more interested in tripping you up about marriage and divorce than they are in living out your design and your desire. Forgive us, Father. Forgive us. Now, Lord, as we, uh, as we get ready to share in the communion of your table, it's my prayer, and I know, Father, that there's not a, there is not a, a, a person in here, really. There's not a family in here. There's not a person this morning that have, we've, that's not been affected by the results of, of sin in our families and divorces and the things that go along with that and, and uh, all the attacks upon God's design of gender and the attacks upon and sexuality and the attacks upon that. So Father, it's, it's not surely not from a, a, a position of judgment at all because what I see, Father, is great hurt and great harm that the enemy seeks to cause and create through a disregard of your word. But Father, where the hurt is there and where the harm has been done, your grace is greater still. And there's not a, there's not a one of us, those that have been subject of abuse, great abuse, those that have all kinds of situations, all kinds of circumstances. And your grace, you love us and you want us to know that. 
And as Leroy says often, you love us and there's nothing we can do about that. And that's okay. So Lord, may we this morning seek and strive to be people of your word, living out your design and your desire, not only in our marriages, but in our lives. In Christ I pray, amen.